All right, good morning. Grab your Bibles. Go to 2 Corinthians. This might be a long one, guys. I'm already struggling with my words. But hey, we're not cutting it here. We're rolling. Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Flip over there in your Bible or scroll, whatever you do. And we're going to jump in. Uh, as always, this is not church. This is me talking to a camera which, as you've heard me say many times, I'm absolutely thrilled about doing. But however it is that we can connect in whatever way we can connect, I want to uh, pull the word out, unplug it so that we can study it together. If that's by video right now, that's fine. But it's not church until we gather tonight in order to talk through it, to discuss the word, and kind of wrestle with it together, spend a little time worshiping through prayer and um and then, yeah, man, just laying in the word. I'd love for you to come. You're welcome to be part of that. You can find us uh, online. Hit us up on social media or email or however you want to. We'll tell you how to find us. We're in Tempe, Arizona, East Valley. If if you're in the ballpark of really Tempe anywhere, holler at us and you're welcome to come. Actually, I don't care where you're from. You can come from California or Mexico for all I care, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so... Anyway, we're moving through 2 Corinthians. We are looking at a cross-shaped life. That's kind of been our theme as we've been working through. We looked at this verse, uh, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's going to kind of be an ongoing theme, even though it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But this week, uh, we're going to look at a cross-shaped life, and we're going to consider a funny little phrase that, uh, worded that way anyway, that, the smell of life and death, and you'll understand as we dig into this, but uh, you may not realize it as believers, excuse me, our life is like a fragrance in the air. That's how Paul describes it. That's how uh, the Word describes it, that, that Christ in us, the gospel of forgiveness of sin, um, that it's like a fragrance in the air. When, when the cross shapes our life, like we talk about, when the cross shapes our life, it smells sweet to some because those who smell it that way are, are broken. They're seeking forgiveness. They're desiring hope and life. Uh, but to others, the fragrance of the cross is repulsive. It is uh, divisive. And to them, they only see death. So today, let me read this text, and uh, you'll see where we're going with this. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to read, starting in verse 12. It says, When I came to Troas to preach, Paul speaking, of course, the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them, and I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let me uh, pray for us. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for your word always. Uh, I pray it always remains your word. Lord, I, I say it repeatedly. I say it um, every week, I think. I don't know, but I, I know I say it all the time. It is your word. I want it to be your word. I don't want it to be my word. I don't want to put my word into your mouth. I want your word in my mouth. And I would pray that be the case for uh, all those who love you and call you Lord. Today, Lord, we thank you for 
entrusting us with your word. Help us handle it, um, enjoy it, and then handle it well. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I remember when I was just getting into pastoral ministry, and uh, a person who's kind of a mentor to me took me to a hospital to do some visits there. And we stopped in on several members of our church that were in different rooms. And uh, we shared stories and updates and did some prayer together, things like that. It was really good. And then this friend of mine says, all right, we're going to go to, before we leave, we're going to head into this other wing of the hospital. And it's a place specifically for those who are not going to live, um, people who are, who are dying. I'm not, not going to leave the hospital alive. Uh, and he prepped me by saying that it literally smells different on that floor. And I thought that was kind of strange. Like, I, what, what do you mean it smells different? But when we got off the elevator, I immediately noticed he was right. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to be morbid or creepy, but I, I don't really know how to describe it. But somehow you could smell death. That floor was different. Uh, but on the other hand, I also remember... Moving here to Arizona uh, with Molly, my wife, and as we were coming out here, it was a three-day drive for us, and I remember in particular that last stretch from uh, Amarillo, Texas to Arizona and across the border, and there was so much flat, there was so much empty, there was so much dry desert um, just a sense of emptiness for miles and miles and miles, and we were shut up inside this uh, older van, uh, that we'd used because we had, well, we have a large German Shepherd that came out with us and so we needed some way to get her here. And then because of the July heat, all the windows were up and we we're closed up in there. It did not smell great in that vehicle. Uh, but I remember arriving in Flagstaff, Arizona. If you've been there, you already know this, but mount, huge mountains. And, and the temperature had dropped considerably. And I remember when we got there and we opened the door and we got out and the air was suddenly cool. And the smell of alpine pine trees was just hitting us. And, and, and almost like you could smell snow in the air, even though it wasn't that cold. It, just the moisture and the freshness of the air. Man, it was amazing. It was like just breathing in this fresh life. Today, Paul addresses an aroma, maybe in a similar way, the aroma of our lives. And as believers, how that uh, fragrance can produce life and death in others, depending on the nose that takes it in. So sometimes we're discouraged and we're frustrated and we're distracted by others who may claim all kinds of things about us or argue with us, the Christian world that that we pull ourselves into the things that not just Christians but outside the Christian world that pull pull into us and distract us and but one thing we can know and should bring us great joy is that Christ has already conquered he's already done it and when we live in him our lives become this aroma uh, that proclaims the gospel and it's always something that elicits a response from other people always we never have to sell it uh, it, it never, we never have to seek to make it produce something from, for us, the gospel. Yeah, that's not the case. So the outline, maybe we'll kind of pull this apart, we'll move quick. But as true believers, because of what Christ has already done, we carry a burden, we cast an aroma, 
and we come with sincerity. So he says we carry a burden, or I'm saying we carry a burden. He starts here in verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach. So it's telling you right there that he intentionally, Paul, came to Troas, not alone, but he came there with his crew to preach the gospel of Christ. That's what he came for. Even though a door, though, was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest. So even though he had opportunity, he was not at peace because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of him. I left. Acts 20, verse 6 says he was there for about seven days. So he was not there long at all. And then he went on to Macedonia. So remember, Paul's still somewhat here, I think, explaining his travel issues. Because remember, early on, they had challenged him right in the beginning of the letter uh, about his integrity because of his travel schedule. And here, I think he's readdressing that because Troas was right across the Aegean Sea from Corinth. But he went on to Macedonia instead of crossing the sea to where they are. And it tells you why. He says, because he didn't find Titus. Uh, Titus was in Corinth and coming to meet Paul. So maybe he was expecting Titus to meet him with news of Corinth in Troas, but he's not there. And Paul's anxious because of all the struggles that have been going on in all of these letters. Remember, we only have two, but there's obviously multiple letters back and forth. Not to mention Paul has been there already. And the just the tension and the struggle and the battle that they've been having. Some say that the, the time of year was in the fall. And so the last of the boats that would have been crossing the Aegean Sea had, had stopped because of winter storms and things like that and Titus wasn't on that last boat to pull into the harbor and so Paul's upset about it so here's a map and you can kind of get a good look at what I'm talking about and you'll be able to see that where Troas is the arrows pointing up towards Philippi and Macedonia but don't worry about the arrow you can see down there where Corinth is down to the uh, southeast of uh, Troas so you can see the Aegean Sea is right there and if Paul wanted to hear from Titus about Corinth now, if Titus has not come and sailed on a boat, uh, Titus is going to be traveling by land up into Macedonia up there. And so if that be so, then Paul's going to get to him quicker by going that way. Either way, there's no internet, there's no text, there's no email, there's not even snail mail. And apparently Paul wants to talk uh, with Titus about Corinth, I guess, before going back there. He says, through an open door. Or, excuse me, not through, though there was an open door. That's a powerful statement. Was Paul wrong to leave? Was he wrong to leave? He didn't say that he ignored the open door. I'm, I'm sure it was a great opportunity that he had there. It just says he was not at rest while he was there. And he clearly left early. And you know, there's times when God will open doors for us. There's times when that happens. But he also doesn't let us be at peace because he's still moving us. It's not where we're going to spend all our time, apparently. He's still shifting us or moving us. But there's another side to spiritual unrest. And I think that's more of what's going on right here with Paul. Paul was clearly anxious over this Corinth situation. Really clearly frustrated, and he really wanted to know how they were, but he was not going to abandon the spread of the gospel to go back and find out personally. Just not going to do it, at least not yet. And ultimately, it led to him now leaving behind an open door to continue to move towards getting news of Corinth so he can move that direction. Um, I wonder how many times 
Christians have burdened other Christians with their struggles. Now, I'm not talking about sharing your struggles. I'm talking about burdening other Christians with your struggles. What I mean is repeatedly coming back again and again until it becomes a weight on those who are trying to carry the gospel forward, who are trying to advance the kingdom. And whether you are or not, maybe you're that person that just keeps coming back to the the other with the same problems over and over until it becomes a distraction and maybe even causes them to leave open doors uh, and, and opportunities for sharing the gospel to come sit back down with you again and settle the same struggle for the same Christians, again and again and again, I hope that's not you. Please don't let that be you. Please don't let that be you. Paul's language here expresses so clearly the burden that he carries. He has this love and desire for Corinth. Obviously, he's frustrated, but if he didn't love them, he wouldn't be frustrated with them. Uh, he, he has this opportunity in Troas that bugs him that he's going away from. He has a desire to go to Macedonia. He's heading there anyway. He wants to. He has this desire for Titus. There's this clear, constant burden on Paul. And our Christian walk is not meant to be shut up inside doors or in closets or sticking at home. We're supposed to be out. We're supposed to be walking, sharing the gospel. We're supposed to be walking, talking, listening to the Holy Spirit within us as he guides, like with Paul. And if we do that, it will always produce a burden. It will always produce a burden. But it produces something else as well. Look at what comes next. We carry a burden. We also cast an aroma. (laughs) Sounds gross to think that we smell. Okay, (laughs) I'm not saying you stink. That's not what I'm saying. It depends on how you interpret what is meant by smell. Times you smell a woman walk by with perfume and you think it is intoxicating and and she's beautiful and it affects you in that way. And other times, yeah, you smell a uh, trash can. It might be a different story. So depends on how you interpret the word. But look at verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us. God leads us. In Christ, in triumphal procession, that leads us in triumphal procession. It's all one word, all one Greek verb, and it's a present active verb, meaning it's always happening. He is always doing this, Paul says. We are always being led in this way. I'll come to what it means in a second. And through us spreads or reveals, again, that's another present active verb, which means it's always happening. He's always Actively spreading or revealing the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Things he's doing. Paul's referring here by that triumphal procession to a a Roman uh, war hero's return after a conquest. Let me read this from one commentary. It says, for a general to qualify for a triumph celebration or a parade. It was literally called a triumph celebration. So this big parade would have happened in Rome. He had to have been a field commander in a victorious campaign where at least 5,000 of the enemy had fallen in battle. But it couldn't be just any battle. It had to be a battle where the conquered country was occupied and stabilized to become a part of the vast Roman Empire as well. The story of the conquest was told in the order of the procession, the parade. First the senators, and then the state officials, and then the spoils taken from the conquered lands. Then pictures of the conquered lands, followed by a white bull, which would be uh, sacrificed afterward. And then captives followed that. Then musicians and priests with incense swinging in the air. And finally, the conquering general riding in a chariot, pulled by four horses. And the streets were lined with shouting, celebrating people. 
the picture here that Paul's talking about. The weight of the issue here is remembering, however, we are not the one triumphing. We are not the one triumphing. It's Christ alone that's triumphing. Furthermore, though we do have hope of life by his grace, so that's true. We aren't being celebrated for our triumph here. Who are we in this picture? Paul, Paul referring to himself and I'm uniting us with Paul as fellow believers. Who are we in this picture? We're the conquered. We're, we're the, we're the conquered enemy. That's who we are in the procession and we're captive to Christ now. For God's glory, it says, and God's the one who's leading it all. It said God leads us. That, that's us. We're, we're not the ones triumphing as so many uh, peddlers of God's word, as he said, would preach. You're a, you're a conquering king. You're, a, you're trying. No, no, no. Not, not maybe, but not here. Here, you're, you're the enemy, conquered enemy. Remember again, Paul is still somewhat justifying himself for not coming directly to Corinth, like I mentioned earlier. And he's also remaking the point that they're led by God. They're not their own to decide. They're captive enemies or captive conquered former enemies now. They belong to Christ. They're led by him. They can't make, they don't make decisions where they're going to go necessarily. Paul and his crew were captive to Christ. They were in his parade. They were surrounded by his incense and the incense bringing. Now, Always, everywhere they go, they are a testimony that they belong to him. They are a fragrance, an aroma of how Jesus defeated their sin, how Jesus killed their flesh, uh, and ultimately how they've gained life now in Christ, though. Not independent of Christ, they are in his procession. Uh, Paul would constantly refer to himself as a slave to Christ. Listen, the whole point here is if that's offensive to you, then you may find yourself in a category described by Paul here as death. Just saying, that's what he's saying. But if it gives you hope, being a slave to Christ, if that gives you hope, then you may find yourself in a category being described as life. That's what he's saying. But don't miss the tone Paul's using here. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. It's joy. It's gratefulness. It's excitement. It's passion. Why, Paul? You're a captive. You're a slave. You're a conquered enemy. Why, why, why? Because he says, God always, always, always leads us in Jesus' triumph. What that means, what he means by that is that joy comes from knowing that no matter what, no matter who, no matter where trouble comes from, Christ is king. He's conquered. It's already been done. And they belong to him. They belong to him and he's a good king. How might it change your life if you started thinking that way? Less like you're begging for a miracle. Less like you're, you know, claiming some blessing. And more like you are property of a good, conquering king who has defeated all his enemies. How might it change the way you share the gospel, assuming that you do? How might it change the way you approach your wife, your children? How might it change the way you worship? How might it change the way you view his church, which if you're a believer, you're a part of. 
It says God's the one, look at the text there, who leads. God's the one who spreads. This entire action is his. He's doing everything. And the fragrance he speaks of is the knowledge of him. It's all about him. It's, it's the understanding of him that's the very fragrance that people are drawn to. Do you have his fragrance? Easy answer, easy way to find out. Do you know him? Do you have knowledge of God in Christ Jesus? Everywhere we go, his fragrance is experienced. That's the way it is. Every, if you're a believer, everywhere you go, his fragrance is experienced. However, there are conditions with it. You know, while we were doing some sermon prep on this text, I was doing it with Josh. And uh, we were in a little cafe down the street from our house drinking some coffee and hanging out. And I was telling him about a, another coffee house, uh, Press Coffee is the name of it. And they have a big roastery in Phoenix. And I was telling him how amazing it is to go sit in that roastery because they have these massive ovens that you can smell the beans roasting. And the smell in that place is awesome of these roasting coffee beans, just tens of thousands of them, I guess, in these giant roasteries while you're drinking their coffee. But while we are sitting there talking literally about that, the, co- the coffee house that we're in, I guess, was preparing for lunch or something. All of a sudden, I'm hit by the smell of onions. <laughs> Chop, somebody chopping onions, clearly. And it's breakfast time still, and we're drinking coffee. Now, you imagine what the smell of onions does to uh, uh, coffee in your mouth. Both aromas here that I'm talking about, both of them were found in a coffee shop. One brings a smile and kind of a warmth and a sense of peace even. And the other is sharp and offensive and it can even bring tears. <laughs> Two different kinds of responses. Look at verse 15. For we are, he says, we are, you already are now. We, as believers, we are the aroma of Christ to God. He uses the word aroma and fragrance here. Aroma is the, the source or the substance of a smell. It is it is where the smell is. It's what's producing the smell. It never changes. It's always there. Fragrance, that, that's the literal smell of the aroma going into your nose. So that's how your nose might interpret that aroma that's coming off of something else. And that can be different. The aroma doesn't ever change. It's always the same. But the fragrance could be different depending on how it's interpreted to whose nose. Okay? But it says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Two different groups of people uh, uh, among those uh, that they are among. Excuse me. Verse 16. To one a fragrance. That, again, is, is the interpretation in the nose. From death to death. To the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Fragrance, uh, like I say, is is when that aroma is taken in by another, and the response to that smell will de- is determined by the person who takes it in. However, it doesn't change the aroma or the source in the air. For instance, uh, I'll burn incense a lot of times when I'm studying, but I go outside to do it, which is fine. So I sit on the patio and light a little incense stick, and I like to do that. It it brings a a peace causing effect to me. I don't. Know why, but for whatever reason, that smell brings peace to me. But one of the reasons I got to go outside is because it is repugnant to Molly. <laughs> she can't stand it. She hates the smell. It doesn't change. It's the same incense. It's the same smell, but that aroma is exactly the same. But to me, the fragrance is warm and pleasing. To her, it is vile and disgusting. So in the same way that an aroma always produces a fragrance that's taken 
in and enjoyed or repulsed and disgusted by, preaching Jesus always causes a response to the ears who hear it. Or seeing Jesus or being around people who love Jesus. All of those things cause a response. Paul describes it as life to life and death to death. Here's the deal with that. We all start out dead in sin. The Bible is crystal clear. There is no lost. I was, I was all good and then I got lost. No. There's no, no sick. Hey, I was healthy, but then I got sick. Nope. It's dead. Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's where we begin. Dead. And when the aroma of Christ has smelled and loved, when that fragrance goes in and we love it, it gives salvation. Life from death. Right now, in this present body, as we are now, life comes in because of our love for that fragrance in this moment. And it also means, though, that this life now will transfer us into eternal life. What the Bible says we'll have a new body, uh, and, and those things are ahead for us. A new life, a spiritual, eternal life. On the other hand, if it's rejected... If the smell or the fragrance of Christ is the aroma of Christ, excuse me, is rejected, it means remaining dead. You're already dead. Remaining dead in your sin here and now. And ultimately, death in this body will transfer us to death in our spirit, which basically means eternal separation from the one who gives life and created us. So much of this in this text is something God is doing. Do you see that? The way the language is worded or the way Paul writes it? The fragrance is something God gives them from being in Christ. It's not some smelly cologne that they put on to artificially attract people to them. It's not like deodorant they put on to try to cover a stinky smell. It's not something God does. It's the aroma of Christ to God. Did you see that? God has identified us so much with Christ that we should smell like him to God. The Father has made us so identified with his Son that we should smell like his son to him, to him. And then the witness to others, it's not about us blowing smoke at them. It's about them observing that relationship with us and God and smelling that smell of Christ that's, that's to, to God ultimately, but they are, are part of that. They see that. It's kind of like they watch us worship God in a sense. Um, and they're drawn to that. That's what he's getting at here. And he says, who's sufficient for these things? That's a rhetorical statement. What he's getting at is, why would God use sinners such as us and make us a fragrance of his son? How could God take a filthy sinner like me and make me smell like his son? Who's sufficient for that? Second Corinthians 3, we'll get to this in the next week or so. Verse 5 says, Now that, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. We'll get back into that, but he's just saying, we, we have nothing, it's all from God. 
There's nothing in us that's just, it's all from God. Now you contrast Paul's attitude here with the modern kind of superstar preachers out there on these massive huge stages. They're being invited to the most prestigious event with tens of thousands of people celebrating them. They're honored with the expensive hotels and fancy food, etc. Not, not so with Paul. Look what he says. We carry a burden. We cast an aroma. We come with sincerity. Look what he says. Verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but, by contrast, as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. I love the way the CSB puts it in verse 17. It says, we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. So many there is literally the majority. That's wild. Like the majority of those out there, we don't, we don't, Market the word of God for profit. The, uh, the word he uses there back in the ESV, the word peddlers, that's, that's from the Greek word corrupt. And the actual word, I think, being used here, this is the only time I, I saw it, but it's a, kind of a professional trader of secondhand goods, uh, like, a, like a junk salesman. And they're typically carry, characterized by deceit. And in our modern day language, we might say use car salesman. You know, no offense to anybody who is one. I know some great ones out there, but you know what I mean by the the typical impression, uh, you know, from using that phrase. But Paul begins to contrast himself with these false teachers that are in Corinth that are really challenging his apostleship. So he's beginning, he's going to do a lot more of that, but he's beginning in kind of in that direction. And he says, we're not selling the word of God. There's no pitches over here to convince you to take it. We're not holding back until you pay first. You got to send us that check first. Hey, once we get your deposit, we'll come to you. You know, we're not doing that. He doesn't say, hey, wait before you buy. Or if you order today, you also get, or, or you know what? For your love gift of blank, we'll send you this uh, official word of God in this new lambskin scroll. You know, none of that junk. He contrasts men making profit with their sincerity. Sincerity means pureness or purity of motive. Their motives are pure. And and he says commissioned by God. It's literally and from God for God. Really what it, what it means, again, the CSB words are good too. We speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. they're only responsible to God with this. It's not about anybody's approval. It's not about trying to win anybody over. It's between them and God. Their responsibility is given from God, and it's given to God, and it's for God. That's what they're saying. And what's the evidence that Paul really means it? Well, Paul, how do we know you're telling the truth? How do we know you're not like the rest of them? You're just trying to hook us from a different way. Well, I'll tell you why. Because instead of profit, Paul got suffering. And he said it repeatedly in Second Corinthians verse one, we already talked, or chapter one, we already talked about it in verse eight. He says we had affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired, uh, excuse me, that we despaired of life itself. No, Paul is definitely pure, has pure motives because he is doing nothing but suffering for bringing the gospel to them. He carried a burden. He cast an aroma and he came with sincerity. And that's the challenge on us, that we 
carry this burden for others, for the lost, wherever it is that we go, that we are an aroma everywhere we go that draws people to Christ. And yes, we know it's going to repel others and that we do it with sincerity, though. With sincerity. love the way I'll close with this. Charles Spurgeon, I'm going to read this quote of one of the great preachers of the last 200 years. He said, Even as the brilliant sunshine will moisten the wax, but at the same time harden the clay, so it is with the gospel. But we're not to blame the gospel for this. It's not the fault of God's truth. It is the fault of those who do not receive it. And believers who witness to the gospel are not responsible for their success. We are responsible for what we proclaim. We are accountable for our life and our actions. But we're not responsible for other people and their decisions. As long as we do what we're supposed to do, we are a precious fragrance of Christ, no matter how people respond to our message. But this task is by no means a light one. Our duty is weighty. This is why the apostle exclaimed, Who is adequate for these things? It's difficult for most believers to share the gospel because they know what, or they know that in announcing a stern message against sin, they condemn themselves also. Man, what a statement that is. Some also are afraid of offering people, or excuse me, some are also are afraid of offending people with their message. Perhaps they're afraid of criticism, but if the gospel is an aroma of life leading to life, then we need to proclaim it and we need to pray for those who do. Amen. Look, I don't know what you've been through out there watching this. If you are, I don't know uh, what kind of struggles you've faced, what kind of struggles you're facing right now, what, what, what kind of battles you feel with being alone or lied to at the end of your rope. I don't know if you feel like there's no hope left in the world. I can tell you something for a fact. There is a fragrance in the air. It is an aroma of forgiveness that's in the air, an aroma of love and joy, an aroma that gives life, an aroma that comes from Christ. It's the cross. Jesus Christ went to that cross and won the victory over all enemies. He conquered all enemies on that cross. The greatest moment in all of history, past, present, future, all of it comes to that central moment when he faced down death and sin on our behalf, something you can never do. And because of that, he provided the opportunity for you to have forgiveness The fragrance of forgiveness is in the air. Breathe it in. Smell it. Does it break your heart in a joyful way? Does it make you excited to know that God loves you? That Jesus went to that cross for you? If it does, tell him. Confess it to him today. His word says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. It says that if we confess him as Lord... We believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. Can you call him king? Can you celebrate that he would make you a slave? In fact, he calls us sons. He calls us brothers. And we are a fragrance. And I pray that's something you do today, that you would confess him as Lord. And then tell us, let us know, hit us up. We want to pray for you. We want to help you take next steps towards making disciples. 
Lord, I love you. Thank you for your word. It's so awesome as always. I pray, God, you're glorified through it today and through uh, any ears that hear it, wherever it may go. Lord, if anybody gave their life to you today, God, I pray you would convict them, burden them uh, with a desire to share it with someone who can help them grow. And again, if they're here locally, I pray it to be us. We love you. Ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.